us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Live from Cosmo the Space Dog, Soyuz Space Capsule, it is now time for more of the last comic shop. I always wish that Cosmo was Laika. Then you know that Leica hadn't died in space. Anyway. Come on. Way to bring down the show. That's all right. We're opening the shop up to newbies where you can bring your dogs and nobody needs to die while we talk about comic books. Oh, boy. We're keeping the lights on for the oldies that might have remembered this series that inspired one of the best, in my humble opinion, uh, Marvel movie trilogies. With the Guardians of the Galaxy. That is true. I'm the host of the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith and Jay Scott. And welcome back to another week of our Movie Mayhem. Yes, an entire six-week buffet pairing comic books with movies uh, that either star the same characters or, in some ways, adaptations of those original comic books. Last week, we did Star Wars. This week is another space epic with Guardians of the Galaxy to go coincide with the uh, recent release of the third in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. The last one, maybe? We'll, we'll see. Definitely, uh, James Gunn's got other things to do now. He's over at the other of the big two, so we don't we don't talk to him anymore. Make my Marvel, James Gunn. Make more movies with Marvel. That's that's what I say. In any case, we are going to be reviewing a Guardians of the Galaxy book, and it is one that I hope that it, whether you've read it or you haven't read it, after today's show, you either go back and reread it or you go to your local comic book shop and pick it up. Because I think if you know anything about the Guardians of the Galaxy, this is a great place to start. And what book is that, Chad? We're going to be reading The Guardians of the Galaxy by Abnett Lanning, The Complete Collection, Volume 1, which contains issues of the Guardians of the Galaxy series that started around 2008. Just so happens to be the same time as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ooh. Yes, it's the first 12 issues of that uh, awesome run by Dan Abnett and uh, Andy Lanning that really set the tone, including... James Gunn's movie. It's where everything came from. They live in the freaking head of the Celestial on this. That's where it came from, dudes. Uh, all these great ideas. So, J.A., who, other than Dan Abnett and Andy Landing, worked on this particular series? Yeah, so Abnett and Lanning were the writers. Uh, Paul Pelletier handled the pencils in issues one through seven, and his art was inked by Rick Magyar. Brad Walker did issues eight through ten, and Wes Craig did 11 and 12. Uh, Victor Olazaba inked Walker's pencils in eight through ten, and Wes Craig did his own inks because he's just a one-man band for issues 11 and 12. And then colorists uh, throughout the series Nathan Fairbarn, Guru EFX, Will Quintana, and Bruno Hang. All right. Well, as I mentioned, there's a lot of great ideas that, that they ultimately would use in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, whether it's the lineup of the actual Guardians of the Galaxy, Star-Lord and Gamora and Drax and Rocket Raccoon and even eventually uh, Mantis, Mantis, although she's like a, an integral part at the beginning. But yeah, there's actually a couple other ones, which we finally got in the movie we're going to be talking about later today. But Chad, 
Give us that 10 cent synopsis. What happens in these first 12 issues? Oh, buddy. This comes on the heels of the big Annihilation crossover, where Abnett and Lanning basically jump-started the Marvel cosmic side of the universe through a couple of different series that ran. There was a Drax miniseries, a Silver Surfer series, a Ronan the Accuser series, and then the Annihilation proper. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. If you don't know that or you don't know the backstory on that, you're kind of thrown in. You don't have to go read them all, though we suggest you do. You can always just go on uh, Wikipedia or something and, and get you know what happened in Annihilation because you have to understand – that the universe is in this sort of precarious place at the moment where anything cosmic could destroy it, tear it apart. And so that gets us to guardians of the galaxy. And so Peter Quill, star Lord has assembled his team and he's feeling a little bit guilty because he may have inadvertently helped some of these things that are tearing the universe apart. So he gets rocket and Drax that uh, folks know of. And then also folks like Adam Warlock, who's going to be in this next movie, uh, to join his team with the the Thylobal Quasar and Mantis. Peter Quill wants to go on the offensive, and he wants to help be a guardian of the galaxy, although they don't have that name yet. I don't think they get the name until the third or fourth issue of the series. But they're going to go and they're going to solve these problems. And basically, they stall for time while Adam Warlock does warlocky things and fixes some of the major problems in the universe. But uh, in their first big adventure, they encounter, uh, similar to another Marvel super team, some icebergs. And what do they see floating in those icebergs? But a shield. And someone connected to a shield, which is obviously Captain... Major victory! Vance Astrovic! Not Captain... Not Captain America, but it's the same shield. But he's one of the holdovers from the Jim Valentino Guardians of the Galaxy team. As well as the earliest version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. He was the leader way, way back in the 60s and 70s. Oh, was he? Yeah. Uh, that's that's where he came from. Him and Charlie 27 and Starhawk. Yondu. They were all members of the original Guardians of the Galaxy done by Steve Gerber in the 1970s. So, yeah, he's actually the Guardian of the Galaxy. So it's cool that he's there. There you go. And so, speaking of Starhawk, Starhawk comes along as well. And sometimes Starhawk is a lady. But yeah, it is the Guardians of the Galaxy. This is the blueprint. This was the hot book that when the MCU was starting, they passed around the room and like, how do we make a movie with a talking tree and a raccoon? But they did, and it turned out to be one of the best bets that Marvel had made. Yeah. And I think I'll start off by saying this is actually, again, a a secret shame of mine that I've never read Annihilation, nor have I ever read this Guardians of the Galaxy. As I told you, I know about the Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's all the old Guardians of the Galaxy. It was, again, Vance Astrovic and Charlie 27 and, and Yondu. And I think there was a character called Nikki who had a flaming head. I even read a little bit of the Jim Valentino run in the 90s, but and regardless, I never read any of this Guardians of the Galaxy. And so I'm coming to this book just like all of the other fans that I think are out there that have seen some of the MCU movies but haven't read a lick of the comic books. And so here I am going into this kind of knowing 
what eventually James Gunn would do with some of these ideas. I mean, I'm going to disagree with Chad in saying that like Peter Quill is a little bit more competent in this. I think he's a hell of a lot more competent in this than he is in any of the the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Really? Like, like brainwashing the team to join up with him as a that, shortcut? That's not a screw-up move. That's like a means-to-an-end move. Like, he knew what he needed to get done, and that's what he did. Which is, again, something you don't see from Chris Pratt. Like, Well, I think a lot of times it's for worse. He's getting his, his guys into situations where they have to teleport out at the last second, and it's the job isn't done well. But, I mean, personally, it's not just him. I think all the characters are a lot more competent in the comic book than they are on the screen, especially two of my favorite from the book, and that's Drax right. and Mantis. Mantis okay. in this is a badass. Not oh, yeah. this sort of ingenue who doesn't know what she's doing and, and very innocent-like but, you know, has a wicked sense of humor and is slightly evil. You know, I, that's sort of how she's played in the movie. And and and, and, and Drax in the movie is, is sort of like the big lug who's got a huge heart but is has, you know, zero sense of humor and doesn't get anything. And then this, he's got a lot more depth. Oh, Those yeah. issues where, where they're, you know, not in limbo because they would know if it was limbo, but somewhere that's not death. Yeah, he, he, he has like a lot of like Wolverine almost moments in this, right? Like he's like space Wolverine. There's like this one scene that happens during Secret Invasion stories where he hunts down space mercenaries that are trying to hunt him with just two knives. He like falls well, out of the he, ceiling. How about he kills everybody for two minutes so he can find the scrolls. Yeah. Well, he's a destroyer. It's what he does. It's in the job description. Right. Yeah. Now, I will say, when I first picked this up many, many moons ago, one of the things that threw me and can be a potential stumbling block for new fans, back in the 90s, I read the Infinity Wars and Infinity Watch, and you were getting a, definitely a very different Drax a very different Gamora and a very different Adam Warlock than you got in any of those stories. And I still am fuzzy on how this Drax ended up being this way. Uh, I'm still fuzzy on what happened to Adam Warlock and like where this goes from here. I still have no idea how they managed to make Nova into a cool space cop. <laughs> That's Dick Ryder. <laughs> Richard Ryder, but still. But if you just let yourself uh, enjoy the story. I think they do a great job with the characterization and connecting people. You have uh, Phyla and Drax, and they're connecting over Heather, who was uh, Drax's daughter and Heather's wife. Moondragon. Moondragon, yeah. You have Peter Quill and Rocket, and they're like the simultaneous heartbeats of the team. They want to keep everything together. And even Gamora's making the sacrifice play in here. And, I mean, she's a badass in the movie. She's even more of a badass in the book i was gonna ask you though jay you're the big cosmic guy like especially cosmic marvel that's like your wheelhouse and so a lot of these characters when we're talking about the 90s and your versions of adam warlock and yours this did you dig this did you like what they were laying down with like these reimaginations of some of these characters so it's interesting you say that because it reminded me of when i got into the cosmic stuff in the 90s because at that time Drax had just been reimagined as a new character and Adam Warlock had just been reborn. So that 90s run, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, Jim Starlin era, Marvel Cosmic was a reboot 
and a restart for right. a lot of the characters. And now this is another reboot restart. So I love it because it's it's you get that new freshness, that hotness. There's some nice little allusions to the old stuff. Wendell Young shows up. Oh, yeah. Quasar, the original Quasar. I was just waiting. I was like, where's Legacy? You know, you got to have Legacy show up. Are you you're talking Krees? He's my jam. So I, I thought it was interesting. I like new Mantis a lot better than old Mantis. Mantis that ran around with Silver Surfer Mantis. She has a lot more character arc now than she did in the past. I do like her creature design. And I know why they didn't do it because it costs a lot of money and they already have a green girl. So they didn't want to make Mantis a green girl. But Mantis needs to be green. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Like, I think of all the characters in this book that... I like the most. I think it is Drax. He has like this warrior philosophy in this book, which again, I love uh, Dave Batista, but like that's a completely different type of character uh, than you get in here. Like this kind of Drax is like somebody you don't want to meet in a dark alley. You're, you're not going to last very long. Yeah. It's like the, the MCU Drax. They took the creature design of this Drax, but then a lot of his character traits are the Jim Starlin Drax, where Drax had no mind and was yeah, the really dumb Drax. stupid. Yeah. I love dumb Drax, though. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other questions I had for everybody on the show is because I think a lot of folks are going to be picking this book up. And unlike some other series from that kind of era, um, you do get some story arcs. But it's kind of more like 80s X-Men in which there's like longer story arcs, like kind of moving in the background. And you just kind of move from place to place a little bit and just get little tiny bits of stories. And so I thought that was neat. Although, like, if you're reading this particular series, you're going to get to issue 12 and be like, well, now I got to get issue 13 because, like, nothing's resolved. Nothing's resolved. resolved. It's like the intergalactic church that um, Adam Warlock is going up against who's they've got a pod and you're like they thought it was Adam Warlock but no it's not so who's in that pod is it the Magus I'm sure it probably is the Magus who knows how long how many issues it takes to get to that point no honestly this book reminded me like Andy was saying the 80s X-Men for me it was like G.I. Joe you're constantly cycling in new characters along with your, your favorites and some of them are pulled in from the past, and some of them are, you know, recall this. But you have all these soap opera plot lines, and some of them get resolved, and some of them just get forgotten. And occasionally you might have a time jump where it's like, all of a sudden, Quill's gone and Bug's on the team. But you'll check in with Quill just to see what's going on there. These are just fine, fun comic books. You know what I mean? Like, there was not an issue that I was disappointed in. The art throughout, even though the artists do change, and each artist brings something different, including... When Brad Walker gives Rocket Raccoon a nose, <laughs> um, I thought all the artists did a great job. You see the darkest timeline? Yeah, well, no, the one, the pre nose rocket was really throwing me. But, uh, but no, like the art is consistent throughout, and just there's this constant interplay with all these different alien races, all these different alien things. And, you know, if they did this book forever, I could see reading this book forever. Yeah. And it's fun, too. I mean, it's it's a bit quippy. Like, the, oh, yeah. you know, when Jack Flagg shows up, he's like, I don't like cosmic stuff. He's like, but they did fix my back in, like, two minutes. So maybe <laughs> I'm okay with some cosmic stuff. Yeah, it's just enough fun, but then it's still serious. You still have Drax hunting down luminals 
that are searching, trying to find him for some sort of misdeed he's done on nowhere. Dan Abnett and, and Andy Landing are, are able to weave in like things you haven't seen in a long time. Like my favorite scene was where they go to the 42 prison. And it's just a bunch of the jabronis that couldn't escape. So, like, Gorilla Man's there, which I don't know if you remember Gorilla Man from our sensational She-Hulk, but he was one of the people that kidnapped She-Hulk in those three issues with Ruby Tuesday and all those people. So, like, Gorilla Man's there. He's a joke. And Blastar, he's a joke. Like, nobody cares about Blastar. That's King Blastar. <laughs> King Blastar. I, I don't know. It, 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 let's get to our ratings, because I think we can gush about this series for a long time. But we got a movie review. So, Jay, what's our rating scale for the first 12 issues of the Gardens of the Galaxy series? So, we're all about looking out for pets on this show. So, it's one out of four cosmic dogs, because Cosmo was one of the best parts of this series. <laughs> Security Commander Cosmo. Yes. Some of his lines end with K's and... It, it, they try to like kind of lean into that Russian accent. He's a dog. He's a dog in a spacesuit. He's still like, I've got enough in my bowl as it is. <laughs> I love that stuff. All right. Well, I'm going to go first. As uh, as I mentioned, this is the first time I've really read this particular series. And I honestly, I got to issue 12 and I wanted to continue reading. So anytime that happens, it's a good series because like if it keeps your attention, even though it's jumping around a lot and there's about a bunch of different plots and I won't lie, like this was during the heyday of Marvel crossover events, right? Like this is like not only is it on the heels of Annihilation, but then there's like Realm of Kings and War of Kings and Secret Invasion and all this other stuff. And they're like trying to weave all of that stuff into this particular series and and tie it into that stuff. But it never felt forced because honestly, a lot of those events dealt with the cosmic characters. So they, they were just kind of out there as like, background radiation almost the secret invasion was there but it was just because the scrolls happened to be on the base but that's okay because scrolls are a spacefaring race they would be at this nowhere place right that makes sense to me i i will say this though that the first issue i i, I didn't know whether i was going to like it or not i i really didn't it wasn't until issue two when major victory who was basically space captain america showed up but he like fleshed out that team and I eventually liked the fact that he becomes a Guardian of the Galaxy and started tying in that old Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. That made the series for me. All of a sudden I was like, yes, I see Captain America's shield. That's something very familiar to me. I'm going to like latch onto that and just ride this wave from that point on. So I'm going to definitely give it a 3.5. Uh, I know that we've given a lot of books like above threes this year, but that's because we're reading a lot of good stuff. And this is the best guardians of the galaxy out there, even better than the stuff in the seventies, the Steve Gerber wrote. This is the best stuff. So if you are a fan of this movie franchise, you got to read these books because they're good. J.A. Yeah, you said it made you want to read more. I did read more. I loved it. I'm giving this a four. Wow. Nice. The art was great. The character development was great. I really liked some of the costumes as well and the character design that they didn't. They, I mean, they used some of it, I guess, in the movies, but and you can understand why, you know, the Chris Pratt sort of helmet, but with the hair, sort of 1990s head socky gambit look. In this, Star Lord wears a helmet, and he kind of looks like a a cop meets a World War One pillboy, and it's just I don't know, it's fun. 
I like the reimagining of Drax. I liked uh, Phyla Quasar. I really liked Badass Mantis. Mantis, who's got a much better power set in the comic than she does. Like, again, they used sort of newer character design Mantis, but old power Mantis in the movie. Because Mantis, when she was going around with Silver Surfer, was like, you know, one with the plants and, and she could feel things. But this Mantis can kind of is like a precog. She can see the future a bit and she can talk to people telepathically. Much more powerful influence on people. She doesn't have to touch you to make you feel better the way she does in the movies. So I think it, it just makes her a better character all around. I always felt that they don't know what to do with her in the movie franchise. And, and maybe that's why they, they leaned on her so much for the Christmas special. She doesn't farewell in a fight if she's got to hold on to somebody to enact her power set in movies i'm just saying but i love that you get some classics too you get the badoon show up i mean if you're a old school cosmic guy there's all these races and aliens that they throw in and it just shows how big the marvel universe is if i could ding it at all i would say as you mentioned deals with a lot of crossover stuff so I found myself going into the Marvel 616 wiki a lot just to figure out stuff that I had missed or didn't know about, like the secret invasion or annihilation, things that sort of are set up on the chessboard. And if you, you kind of have to read that to understand the chessboard a bit. All right. right. Chad? Okay, I'm going to split the difference betwixt you guys. I'm going to give it a 3.75 because I do think this is wonderful. And honestly... Uh, and this is my, my hot take on this one. This was the last best era for Marvel Comics. I don't think Marvel Comics will ever be as good again as they were if from the, the mid-2005 to 2009, 2010. And the reason is, they gave creative people like Abnett and Lanning free reign to do what they wanted in the Cosmic Universe. And they took advantage of that. And they built that entire thing out of basically nothing. People weren't making cosmic books at the time. And they're like, yeah, we're going to make Nova cool. Yeah, we're going to reboot the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, we're going to bring in the Badoon. We're going to bring all these different flavors in. We're going to bring nods to the old school stuff. But we're changing enough to make it new and make it fresh. And you guys were uh, talking a little bit about all the crossovers. With the Secret Invasion and some of the more grounded crossovers... And Civil War, those were still the best Marvel crossovers, you know, after all the crossover stuff happened. But those were basically off on their own. All the stuff about Realm of Kings, that was part of the Abnett and Lanning universe. That was what they built, and that is what they were doing. And they were given free reign in that sandbox. And what came out of it was just so great. Unlike with the John Byrne, Chris Claremont X-Men, I can't point to two issues here and say, like, these are the best two issues. These are days of future past. I can't point to one singular story arc that I'm like, oh, this is what makes this the best. It's just it's constantly good stuff. It's great soap opera comic books. And so is it a, a 4.0? I mean, this is the year of Chad, even though I didn't nominate this one. You know, I really enjoyed this book. I love this series. It's just high-quality stuff, letting creative people be creative and do what they want. And sometimes they do silly things, and sometimes they do things that don't make sense, and sometimes they do things where they just have Adam Warlock, uh, magic it away. Whatever, it doesn't matter, because the stuff they're doing is cool and creative, 
And that's why you have this as the springboard for all the stuff that's come out of it. But yeah, after reading this, I want to go back. I want to start back with all of Annihilation and read through it. Because I remember Annihilation Wave stuff because it was so spread out all over. But they built the universe. And like I've said multiple times, they made Nova cool, damn it. (laughs) I don't know how they did it. But they made Nova cool. Uh, They built the Guardians of the Galaxy. So 3.75. All right. Well, we'll be right back with more of the last comic shop right after these commercial breaks. We got to get to recommendations, and then, as I promised, a movie review. So stay tuned. Hey there, listeners. We're the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. Two sisters and Marvel fans who discuss all things Marvel content, including the Disney Plus shows, the movies fan theories and predictions, Marvel news, and other hot topics in the MCU. Join us each week when new shows are airing on Disney+, Plus as we break down our thoughts on each episode, predictions about where it's going next, and potential implications for the wider MCU. We also share predictions and reactions to all MCU and MCU-adjacent movies and tackle other fun topics on a bi-weekly basis when there aren't any shows airing. You can find Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories on your podcast platform of choice, or check out our blog at letstalkmarvelfantheories.wordpress.com. So come along for the ride, because Marvel just blew your mind. So let's talk about it. Together, we can make a difference. That's been the sign-off for everything Livestream for the Cure related ever since the event began back in 2017. Hello everyone, my name is Nick, and I am the host of the Livestream for the Cure, an annual charity event to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute for immunotherapy research for a world immune to cancer. And over the past six years, we've made that difference together. Amazing listeners, amazing viewers, amazing podcast partners and content creators all coming together, and we've raised over $70,000. But this year, we're going to make our biggest difference to date, and we're going to raise $25,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Tune into the event at twitch.tv slash livestream for the cure starting May 18th as we're joined again by podcast partners and content creators from around the world to help the Cancer Research Institute crush cancer. Together, we will make a difference. Now somewhere in the Black Hills of Dakota, there lived a young boy named Rakasaku. Oh man, it's now time for recommendations. Thanks so much for that. Thank you so much for that. That made my day. I hope one of your our recommendations today is to pick up the White Album by the Beatles because that has Rocky Raccoon on there. Which, if you know the story, that's where they came up with the name for Rocket Raccoon. Bill Mantlo evidently liked that song. Yeah. Also, also has Back in the USSR, so Cosmo would feel right at home. There you go. (laughs) Rocky Raccoon. Went into his room only to find Tony Stark, Iron Man. That's my recommendation this week. We've talked on this show a lot of time and given him a lot of grief, but Dan Slott does write some comic books that are pretty good sometimes. And he wrote a really great series in Tony Stark, Iron Man. It came out in 2020, and it was kind of like a melding of the Machine Man 2020 four-part miniseries done by Tom DeFalco giving uh, uh, Tony Stark a brother in Arno Stark, who was the Iron Man 2020. 
but it has like Iron Man fighting a dragon and his old Mark One armor. It has uh, a really great storyline where the Pym Ultron character, you know, like the composite of Hank Pym and Ultron, they end up kidnapping people like the Vision and Wonder Man and smashing them together and grabbing other members of the Avengers and smashing them together and then setting them against Iron Man for the love of Janet Van Dyne, because I guess uh, Tony Stark hooked up with her. And Machine Man shows up and Jocasta, and it's just a really great series. I think the Omnibus is about 20 issues plus a six-part miniseries called Iron Man 2020. But no, it's it's neat. And again, I don't give a crap about Iron Man, so Dan Slott can do whatever he wants with him. And, and he does, and, and it works out well. So go Hello. pick it up. It's an Omnibus format. So, maybe we'll have to read that. We haven't read any Iron Man, I think, on the show, have we? I would or maybe do Armor Wars, some Bob Layton Iron Man. We need to do Iron Man at some point, I feel. Well, maybe that will be one of your picks for later this year. But what's your oh, pick for this yes. week, J.A.? Well, that might be my pick for later this year, an Iron Man book. But my pick for this week is more Cosmic Marvel. And uh, we alluded to it when we were talking about the Guardians and how it's sort of a, you know, a reboot of a lot of these characters that were originally rebooted in in the 90s. Well, I'm going to go back to that 90s reboot. Some classic Jim Starlin, Infinity War, the follow-up to, of course, Infinity Gauntlet, which was the big sort of coming out of the Jim Starlin cosmic universe. Infinity War sets Adam Warlock, now in charge of the Infinity Stones, against the Magus, his <laughs> counterpart. And then there's all these doppelgangers that are taking over and fighting against the superheroes. And some of the doppelgangers win, and some of the doppelgangers lose. And you don't know if the superhero is a doppelganger superhero or is a real superhero. And it's just fun 1990s Jim Starland storytelling with great art by ron Lim. all the big ones are there you get thanos you get silver surfer you get pip you had gamora you got adam warlock in in a, the costume that i always knew him as which was that golden hair and the gold skin and and he had a cape yeah the gold lucha libre costume with a big giant collar like i don't understand why superheroes think that's cool but they do and i guess it's cool wasn't this like peak comic books for J.A. as a teenager? Like, you never got into Infinity Crusade that came after this, right? Yeah, so this was it. This was, like, peak cosmic for me, and then I held on for some Silver Surfer stuff, um, then eventually went away. But this was, this was like, peak Ron Lim, too. I think it was, like, penciling half of the Marvel Universe at this time. Yeah, yeah, and nobody does a better Silver Surfer than Ron Lim. Well, what's your recommendation this week, Chad? So my recommendation originally was going to be the Larry Hobbin G.I. Joe run, but Danny told me I've recommended that like six times. <laughs> well, you can uh, still go pick it up. I mean, he still can recommend you pick it up. Yeah, yeah like, you recommend different sections of the Larry Hama G.I. Joe run, I, I feel like. You're the, like the original, and then the reboot, and then when it went to here, and then it came to there. Yeah, they're all good. But no, so I'll go off course here. I'll go. I'll keep it cosmic a little bit. And in 2017, Saladin Ahmed and uh, Christian Ward created a 12-issue series starring everyone's favorite, Blackagar Boltigan, a.k.a. Black Bolt, where he wakes up and he is imprisoned by the sadistic jailer. His prison mate is uh, everyone's favorite, Absorbing Man, Crusher Creel. And it uh, won some Eisners at the time. And Christian Ward's art is so surreal and trippy. 
and the Jailer is such a twisted and sadistic bad guy. And Crusher Creel is just awesome. Like, there's a character moment where he's like, listen, bud, I've gone up against Thor and still have my teeth. You don't want to mess with me. Like, how cool is that? But uh, they even get around Black Bolt's power where he's not allowed to talk. You know, he will destroy all the things. But they, uh, they, they do some things to his throat work. Spoilers. He is allowed to speak a little bit in this series, and you really understand Black Bolt. You get a lot of lockjaw, something to get you to care about the Inhumans. And it's one of those things that was created in its own little pocket, and I worry that it's being forgotten. So it has been collected all in one volume. Uh, you can definitely check that out. But it is Black Bolt by Saladin Ahmed and Christian Ward. Just trust me, it's, it's a great series, and most of you probably haven't read it. It's worth your time. Can you imagine being Black Bolt and being at karaoke with everybody? <laughs> Would that be hell? Isn't karaoke usually hell in general? No, I just it's imagine not. not when you're singing. You. It's it's hell when you just have to listen to it. But when you're singing, that's the fun part. I just imagine Medusa telling him about her day, and he never says anything, so she just never stops. <laughs> Wow! Well, one thing that we hope never stops is the last comic shop, and we're going to be around for a really, really long time, we hope it. Including for a movie review. Yeah, exactly, in a little bit, but uh, in case you're not sticking around for that, or maybe you haven't seen it, and that's spoilers for you, whatever, uh, make sure that you're checking us out every single week over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can get all these episodes. In fact, all these other movie reviews, we did Movie Mayhem last year, and there's so there's episodes in the past we did on like V for Vendetta and Persepolis and Judge Dredd, as well as we've got some movies coming up for the rest of Movie Mayhem, like Akira and the 80s Flash Gordon movie. So you want to keep it here at the last comic shop for all of these wonderful comics plus occasional movie reviews. As long as they're comic book related. There you go. And you can check us out on the socials at Last Comic Shop. For Gold Age covers to put you in bed at night. We have weekly polls. We have daily opinions and pictures and things that we think are interesting. But all that's there at Last Comic Shop. Or you can always go back to the home base, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com, where they can find what else, J.A.? We've got links to our merch store. We've got tote bags, coffee mugs, T-shirts, everything that you and your comic-loving friends and family might want, including some spacesuits for your dog this week. So make sure you check it out. How cool would it be if we could get the Guardians of the Galaxy suits for everybody? Yeah. That I don't even know what those jackets are called. They're awesome. Right. And make sure that you're uh, sticking around with us, uh, not only for the movie review later, but coming up in uh, just uh, another week, uh, we're going to be doing a a special show for live stream for The Cure. That's going to be on May the 20th at 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you are around a computer at that point, make sure that you're checking out our bonus episode, which will be the Hulk and Batman battling it out in a classic comic book from the 70s. So make sure that you're sticking around for that and donating to a very, very worthy cause in raising money for cancer research. It is one of my favorite things that we do. Uh, Please join us, help us celebrate comics and raise money to help fight cancer. Yeah, and, and, and make sure that you're sticking around for more Last Comic Shop right after these words from Mikey Wood where he's gonna try to sell you some stuff Keep your comic books in. I'm Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and Jay Scott. And stick around. 
Guardians of the Galaxy number three, coming up right after this. Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD today. That's LCSPOD. And we're back. Thanks, Mikey, for plugging the BCW supplies. Remember, for 10% off all of your comic supply needs, BCW supplies, promo code LCSPOD. Now, let's get to what the folks have come to hear. It is our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 movie review. We're recording this on the King's Coronation Day, just like James Gunn is off to become King of DC now. Uh, (laughs) Heavy is the head that wears the crown and gets it twisted on, and I swear they were going to pop his head right off. (laughs) That's neither here nor there. Let's talk about this movie thing. We'll start with the Who's-It's. Uh, Jay, who uh, was involved in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Okay, well, it was, as you mentioned, written and directed by James Gunn, produced by a crown that one could say is heavily tarnished at this point and molding, perhaps, by Kevin Feige. The MCU, I will argue, not in a good state. The usuals in the Guardians, Chris Pratt as Star-Lord, Zoe Saldana as Gamora, Dave Bautista, Drax the Destroyer, Karen Gillan as Nebula, Palm Clemtif as Mantis, Vin Diesel does the voice of Groot, Bradley Cooper the voice of Rocket Raccoon, uh, Sean Gunn as Kraglin, Chuck Woody Iwuji as the high evolutionary, the big bad for the movie. You get Will Poulter doing a very interesting take on Adam Warlock. Elizabeth Debicki returns as Aisha. And then you get Mary Baklova as the voice of Cosmo. And Sylvester Stallone shows up because they couldn't get Michelle Yo anymore. Wow. <laughs> okay. So uh, wow. let's get into the 10 cent he, synopsis. He's bitter. You can taste like the venom already starting to like. No, venom's see- not in this one. That's a different company. <laughs> he was in the Guardians of the Galaxy at one point, I, though. But not yes. this one. Not, not the MC. Let's so, go Sony on. 10 cent synopsis from the host with the most. So this happens after the Christmas special. So if you didn't see the Kevin Bacons, you'll kind of be a little bit confused as to why they're rebuilding nowhere. You know, that celestial head that you first saw as the collector's base in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. But luxury return, that's their home now, like it is in the comic books that we just talked about. And uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy are just going about their business. And lo and behold, Adam Warlock shows up to just beat the shit out of everybody. He's there to get Rocket, honestly. He's there to get Rocket because... The High Evolutionary uh, is obsessed with getting Rocket back because he was the only one of his creations to best him. That's what I think. I mean, to actually be smarter than the High Evolutionary. I mean, that guy couldn't take it. Uh, So long story short, he's like, I got to put this kid in his place and steal his brain or whatever. And so you get all this stuff about Rocket's origin and where he came from and how, you know, the High Evolutionary tortured a bunch of animals and it's a really it's a quest to try to save Rocket's life after he gets, you know, beaten up by uh, 
Adam Warlock. That's pretty much the whole plot. Eventually, they save some kids and some other animals. <laughs> Counter Earths there, and I love those stories. I and, and I'll, I'll just start by saying, like that was a thing I did a little while back, and I had some free time as I strung together all of the issues uh, of Adam Warlock, starting with the High Evolutionary's first appearance, and I think four one thirty four. And all the way through where Warlock dies, and then even some stuff after that. That's cool. I think that's cooler than this movie, even though I didn't mind the movie. But I'm not going to give my thoughts, because there's somebody that's champing, champing at the bit to destroy this movie. Just lay it to waste, and that's our own J.A. Scott. So, J.A., the floor is yours. What are your grievances, sir? On the day in which the Kentucky Derby was run, I am champion. <laughs> if the Guardians of the Galaxy can be equated to the songs that are in their playlist, then they quite possibly have gone from a legacy band to a one-hit wonder. Oh, you're not going to talk smack on Space Hog, are you? The movies were songs, then they're a one-hit wonder with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Volume 2 was like, ooh, this is the kind of song, maybe it's a little bit weird. Do we like it? Do we not? Let's see what the third song is to see if the band is a good band or not. Well, the third song came out, and the band is not a good band. Oh, didn't you like the Christmas special song that had songs in it that were really good? <laughs> It was overly long. With the exception of Rocket Raccoon, there was zero development in terms of characters. The big bad, the high evolutionary is just so transparently two dimensional that yeah. he became uninteresting. It was. Uh, did I say that it was long? It was very <laughs> long. It was two and a half hours long. The quest took forever. They go to that eye in the sky organism thing with Nathan Fillion. I think that was just so that James Gunn could give Nathan Fillion a scene. There's no other reason for that. That wow. entire sequence had no purpose. It gave it, Space Hog an awesome music video. Yes, I mean, did, come but, on, the, the, the space suits with all the different colors. Like if you had saw that in MTV in the 90s, you'd be like, that was an awesome video. I want to watch that again with the Space yes, Hog song. In the 1990s on MTV. <laughs> It would have been Listen. over in three and a half minutes. I didn't need all the animal cruelty. I didn't need the very dark tone of the whole thing. I'm going to agree with you that the high evolutionary as a villain, I mean, when you want to build up a bad guy and you don't have a lot of time, there was like almost like a checkmark box of like all the things that you have to do to make somebody just awful on screen. So first off, you have to... Make him British, because that's like the Empire. <laughs> like that's and that always happens. You have to have him speak with a British accent. That's Apologies, Luke King. <laughs> then number two, you have to have him involved with eugenics, which is, you know, again, like trying to make master races. Uh, you have to have him enslave kids, torture animals, be the drunk yes. dad, and show up one day and be like, you're a rotten kid, and start smacking around his like his son, like that's another thing you got to do. And the, all those boxes were checked. Well, hey, well, one, 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 more, one more box. Uh, he has that stretchy face. And they spend all that time building up the face-off joke and they tear his face off and they never capitalize on the joke. <laughs> Where was my face-off joke? Oh, man. So yeah. on the positives, it did have a nice soundtrack. I'm glad that it wasn't just stuck in the 70s. It jumped around a bit, much like a Zune playlist. I, I will say this, though, I, in, in reading some background about the particular movie, The High Evolutionary was inspired by Charles Lawton's 
portrayal of Dr. Moreau in Island of Lost Souls, which I showed Chad for the first time, and he was seriously disturbed by that movie. Yeah, Goat. the little piggy people. Yes. There was lots of vivisection. Exactly. I think at least the actor nailed that. You really did want to see that slime ball get crushed. I mean, I, Chad, what did you think of this? So I am in the middle. I enjoyed the movie. For the two and a half hours I was there, I thought, okay, this is fine. James Gunn had previously made really fantastic movies. I, I very much so enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. It's one of my favorite MCU movies. I didn't enjoy Volume 2 as much, but I wasn't let down by Volume 2. I thought it was still pretty good. And the Christmas special, like I said, I love the Christmas special. That Santa Claus that shoots missiles from his toes, that stuff is awesome. Uh, the bar is very high. And so whenever I saw this movie and it was a pretty good movie, I was let down. And I think uh, knowing uh, some of just the background where James Gunn had written the script and then he was fired. And then uh, after some uh, backlash from fans and the cast and crew and everything, he was rehired to make this movie, but he had already committed to DC stuff. I just think that James Gunn had run out of shits with this movie and he had he had made a professional movie but i think the heart and the care and the things that made the previous guardians of the galaxy movies this one they just they just spell things out oh rocket the story is about you all along so we're gonna spell this out by having a character tell you that the story was yours all along <laughs> uh you know having the one note high evolutionary as the bad guy it's just like the effort level while still professional and competent and better than most of anything Marvel's put out in the last four years. But I just think it, it was down a notch. The script wasn't there, didn't have that heart. But then there were things that were fun too. Like I love Cosmo. Yeah. I love Craglin, like withholding that uh, approval and just how that ate at Cosmo the entire time throughout the course of the movie. Like that was fun. It had its moments. It just wasn't as well put together as the previous outing. Okay? I'm not going to bludgeon this movie in its bed like i i now like it was twice. an otter with arms exactly originally. like it was a walrus in a wheelchair i'm gonna say very similarly to chad that this was a movie that was like i don't know like at least four years too late uh whether or not it was because james gunn you know got you know fired and then rehired but then there was you know covid and all this other stuff so like suicide squad yeah it, it just tons of stuff happened and but I, at the same time, I think like this was a movie that it made the best of what it could be. A lot of these actors have already moved on in their careers, but I think they all did solid performances. Like I even liked the one note big bad guy. It, like, I don't think anybody here did a bad job when there was funny moments. Like for example, when uh, Nebula was like drinking the. Uh, the soda in the animal person's dining room. And she's like, oh, this is the best. I don't know. I just liked those kind of little moments. When she can't figure out how to open the car door. Who designed something like that? <laughs> and Mantis makes, you know, the one guy fall madly in love with Drax. And it was just, there were a lot of clever moments that not only myself, but my kids who I took with, they were laughing. And maybe this is the curse of a trilogy, right? It always seems by the third movie, they run out of steam. It's like the third movie's always like, ah, I wish it could have been better. I wish it could have been something else. We used to say that about Return of the Jedi. Now Return of the Jedi is like awesome because we've seen other things. I guarantee we'll see Guardians of the Galaxy movies going forward that'll make this one look great. 
Why? Because it was the last of the James Gunn ones, even though it wasn't as good as the previous outings. That's all I'm saying. Mantis was so cruel to Drax and just kind of like mind wipes him. I was going to ask J.A. I mean, he commented in on the previous segment when we were talking about the book, like how Mantis, you liked her power set in the comic books more. Like, I feel at least she was a little more competent. Yeah, she's more competent. She still comes off as a dumbass, though. And (laughs) I just not not a fan. And and, and Adam Warlock, you weren't a fan of at all. I. He was weird, man. They wrote him weird. Like a kid with massive powers and mommy issues. <laughs> I he had some of he had, yeah, he had some of the greatest one-liners. That was, I mean, this this movie wasn't all bad. It had a lot of good one-liners. It was witty. There was some witty writing about it. Uh, it's still a competent movie. Overlong, yes. Overwrought, yes. Over CGI'd, most definitely. Is this the beginning of the death rattle of the MCU? Quite possibly. Oh, I don't think this is the beginning of the death rattle. I think we've been hearing that death rattle for a couple of movies now. And I, you bring up a good point with the CGI fest. I, I know Andy and I shared the same sentiment where we would say the MCU, MCU movies were great because they would take superheroes and they would put them in a genre film. You know, you would have the Ant-Man heist movie. You would have the space opera, which, by the way, as someone who's not the biggest Star Wars guy, I was so happy to celebrate Star Wars Day by watching a Star Wars-style movie that was better than Star Wars has been in the last few But anyway, they were able to plug all these superheroes into these genre films. But I think the last couple of go-rounds of movies, they've stopped doing that. They've become their own genre that's overwrought with CGI that has a lot of those third act problems. And I, I don't know if this one is as bad of an offender as the rest, but I just think that it wasn't good enough to pull Marvel out of whatever it's in, where it's no longer making those cool genre films. Now it's just making another Marvel movie. Let's go ahead and get to our ratings for this particular film. I'm interested in hearing what J.A.'s not only got for our rating scale regarding the Galaxy 3, but what he ultimately rates it. Because, again, the fangs were out. He was not liking this. And that's okay. Yeah, And I'll point out the reason why I was not happy with it is because I had a higher bar for this. Like, I didn't go into the Ant-Man movie hoping for a good movie. I just went into the Ant-Man movie. Okay, it's the Ant-Man movie. I don't really have a lot of skin in the game. I don't care (laughs) if the Ant-Man movie is bad or good. But I really liked the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I really like those characters. I like the James Gunn version of those characters. And I like Cosmic Marvel. It's always uh, been my jam growing up. So I felt I had a little bit more invested, I guess. And I was so let down by this. All right. Well, that's a good start to your your rating. <laughs> what's, so the scale? what's the scale? Scale is one out of four anthropomorphized animals. Oh, nice. It's like war pig. Yes, which I I, I do like. I mean, and this is a little bit inside baseball-esque here, but you got a lot of people coming back that were previously in the MCU and they ended up doing voices in this movie. So Linda Cardellini, who played Laura Barton, she's the voice of Lila the Otter. There you go. And Tara Strong who was Miss Minutes in Loki. She voices the mainframe. Judy Greer, who played Maggie Lang in the first two Ant-Man movies. She's the voice of Warpig. (laughs) (laughs) So I give it two and a half anthropomorphized animals. I mean, it was well done from a 
technical standpoint, there are some witty repartee moments of dialogue. The music, my kids don't know any of that music. So they were especially Alex was loving it. He loved the No Sleep Till Brooklyn. And if you're going to do a Beastie Boys song, I'm glad they didn't do Sabotage because that's been done ad nauseum already in the Star Trek movies. So you can't do Beastie Boys Sabotage because then everyone will think you're uh, you're J.J. Abrams doing Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Lens flare. I will go next. I'm going to give this a solid three. Uh, It's not the three and a half, 3.75 or even 3.95 that the other movies have been. But as some of you are pointing out, I think your bars are are, are way too high for all of these MCU movies. Like every single time we do one of these shows, like with Chad, with, uh, with Quantumania or you with this one being like, I was expecting more. Why do you expect more? From a superhero movie. Because they were better. It was a, they're superheroes. Because they used movies. to be good. Because they used ex- to be good. And now how, they've how become, now expect- they've become genre trash. How much did you expect from Iron Man 3? Really? Did you expect a lot from that movie? I no. I kind of enjoyed Iron Man ah, shush up. You guys are seriously like the high evolutionary in this movie. You both are saying like, I just wanted everything to be perfect. And I'm Rocket Raccoon saying, no, you're just not happy with the way things are. And this is the way things are from now on. These are just movies. They have to bring in money to Marvel. And then they have to make another one so that I go and see that one. And I'm happy with Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It was a competent movie. I swear to God, they're going to make Guardians of the Galaxy movies to come. And in those movies, they're going to be a lot worse, like the prequels or the sequels or all the other Star Wars stuff. And you're going to pine for like, oh, I remember the olden days when James Gunn gave us really good music, like that acoustic version of Creep to start everything off. Yeah, but it was the radio edit. It was the damn radio edit. (laughs) All right, Chad, you're up. Okay, so I've been thinking, I actually appreciate some of the points Andy you brought up, and I will be curious how this will play out Uh, Whenever I sit down and I watch the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, you know, watch them back to back to back, including the Christmas special, but excluding the Avengers movies, because that would just take too long. And I wonder how this will hold up if I see things, you know, over time. As it stands, I'm with J.A. where I think it suffers because while it was a pretty good movie, it wasn't a great movie. And all my other Guardians of the Galaxy experiences have been great experiences. And the thing that makes it that much more heartbreaking is we're losing James Gunn to run DC and become an executive. And it's not that I don't have faith in James Gunn. I don't have a lot of faith in DC movies in general and Warner Brothers and how they've been making those movies that it's going to turn out well. You, you've got to figure if there's a one little misstep, you know, one movie doesn't do as well as they think it was going to do. DC will just rip up the book again and go back to the well again. Right. And let's not forget Suicide Squad didn't necessarily burn up uh, the charts right? whenever it was released. And so, but I think Peacemaker did well. I don't know. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm going to give this a 2.75. Uh, I, I do think it was competent. I was sad that I could see the strings and it wasn't as cool as it used to be. Like pulling out Beastie Boys, like, come on. <laughs> People have been using Beastie Boys and movie soundtracks forever. 
Uh, I expect more of James Gunn, and hopefully we get it in those DC movies. But at the end of the day, did I enjoy the movie? Yes. Did I think the characters were well-served for the most part? Yes. Uh, Did I get sad uh, about all the animal abuse and all that stuff? Yes. Did I laugh at Drax? Yes. All the things I wanted to do. So 2.75, it was by no means a bad movie. It just wasn't a great one. Right. And you're forgetting that, like, they didn't kill the characters. Everybody was going into this movie thinking they were going to kill them all. They were like, oh, the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to get blown up or whatever. No, they they did exactly what they were supposed to. They set it on a trajectory where, like, the only people that have to come back are, are Rocket and Groot. Chris Pratt, I guess, can come back and eat cereal. That's great. Well, they promised he's coming back. Yeah. Legendary Star-Lord. Right. With his magic spoon. And I love that. I will say this point blank. I love the fact that the final of the post credit sequences, they're just f***ing with us now. I love it. Whether it was that, or Bruce Campbell saying it's over, stop hanging around for these things. We didn't hang around for them when we were, in, uh, when we were kids. It's not a thing anymore. I, I, I just don't understand a grown man letting somebody else cut his lawn. <laughs> What's up with that? I still think I'm going to sit through uh, the end credits for each of the movies whenever I watch the trilogy again. That does bring up a, a, a good point, and this probably will be the poll. Of the Marvel movies that have had three sets of three, so you've got like, you know, the Captain America set of three, Iron Man set of three, Thor's had four, but maybe um, Love and Thunder and the Dark Elf one kind of combined to make one <laughs> giant piece of turd movie. I don't know. I would combine Love and Thunder with uh, Ragnarok. They're basically the same thing, just yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Who do you think had the best three set run? Uh, that's going to be a great poll for later on in the week. Any case, what we hope is not the same thing is the last comic shop because you're getting more episodes uh, all throughout Movie May with brand new movies and comic books together. Next week, it's Flash Gordon. And Ben Morse, the wonderful comic book artist uh, and creator, he's going to be stopping by to review not only the Alex Raymond uh, comic strips with us, but also the 80s Flash Gordon movie. So if you like space operas, that's three weeks in a row, baby. Star Wars, Guardians, Flash. We hope you come back next week. Comic Shop was a 2023 Black Anders production.